The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. All right. Good morning, church. We're going to be uh, continuing today in our wanna. What? happened oh wow <laughs> wow that is <laughs> man that's great I need to make that my profile picture all right want to get away that's what we're asking this morning right oh wow okay cool that threw me off so much no I'm just kidding um you're welcome for that thanks Drew I'm sure that was your doing um so yeah, we're continuing in that today, our Want to Get Away series, okay? Um, it's, been a, it's been a really great series so far. We've gone through two Sundays, and uh, this Sunday is going to be our, our last one. And we're really, in this series, hoping to be refreshed in Christ and, and to kind of reorient our hearts to the heart of God. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, Andy uh, preached over a sermon and, and led us to consider this question, Are You Dry? Okay, and we learned in that sermon that we are actually called to, to thirst after God because God alone is the one who can satisfy us. And then last week we asked the question, are you distracted? And Andy showed, showed us through the, the story of, of Mary and Martha that amidst all the many distractions in our world today, we're called to give priority first and foremost to sitting at the feet of Jesus, to listening to his teachings. Now today, uh, we're going to be finishing up this series by asking the question, are you detached or are you lonely? Are you disconnected? And as I've been meditating on this question, I've been really struck by how important this issue is for us specifically in our day and age. And I think we should give a special attention to the way that our society might put us at odds with God's design for human flourishing. Okay, does that make sense? That, that there are things in our society that, that may put us at odds with God's design for how we should be living as people. So we're going to do that in just a moment, um, and just a, a, for, uh, a warning ahead of time. We're not going to be reading the, the passage for, for a little while, so you can kind of settle in, but that's intentional. I haven't forgotten um, but before we do that, I wanted you to, to hear something. David Foster Wallace tells us this very short story in his book, Infinite Jest. This wise, old, whiskery fish swims up to three young fish and goes, Morning, boys, how's the water? And then swims away. The three young fish watch him swim away and then look at each other and say, What's water? See, for most of us, America is all we've ever known. And for all of us, the past century at most is all we've ever known. So there are many things about our society that we tend to accept as normal simply because it's all we've ever known, whether for good or, or for bad. So I want us to spend some time considering some examples from our historical moment and see how our culture might make us more prone to loneliness. I don't think it should surprise anyone to say that we live in an individualistic society, which among a lot of things basically means that we uh, assign value and praise to the individual 
over the community. When kids and young people are considering what to do with their life, what do we tell them? You can grow up and be anything you want to be, right? That's the American dream. Grow up and do whatever you want, right? It's this awesome thing that we tell kids when they're, they're growing up. Do whatever you want to do. We raise kids to assign the highest value to their own desires and dreams over the needs of the community. Compare this to, to most of history where, where a vocation was basically just passed down through the family, right? If your dad was a carpenter, you'd become a carpenter. You took up your family business and you continue to contribute to the good of your people. But in our society, young people are taught to give much more thought to their own like individual success than the success of the community as a whole. And one of the things that this kind of individualistic mentality can produce is this, this feeling that everybody out there, they're just characters in the movie of my own life. We begin to use people and only value them insofar as they make our life better, right? And that kind of hostile attitude in relationships inevitably drives people away, right? Because we're not serving, we're not embracing, we're using. Even the word independent has become a stunning compliment in our cultural vocabulary. If we can live our lives without needing anyone else, we can wear that as this kind of badge of honor and declare that I got this, right? I don't need anybody. I can make it on my own. But guess what happens when we live that way? We, we push people away and we never ask for help when we realize that actually we don't got this. Another word that has changed meanings in Western culture is the word ambition. Okay, did you know that the, the word ambition used to be a virtue instead of a vice? Michael Horton writes, the Greek philosopher, philosophers warned against ambition. The Greek word there is eretheia. It did not mean drive or initiative as it commonly does in, in our day. It meant putting oneself forward as in an election but in a spirit of rivalry that is not beneath resorting to unscrupulous tactics. Isn't that interesting, right? Calling someone ambitious used to be an insult because you were saying that they were so concerned with themselves and, and getting to where they want to be that they don't care who they hurt in the process. The opposite of ambition actually used to be humility. Ponder that, you know? In the past few centuries, this concept of ambition transformed. And this is why when you read like Paul or James in our English Bibles and you read them talking about selfish ambition, that's one word. It's the Greek word eretheia. We have to add in selfish in front of it, right? Because this word has, has taken on a different meaning. So obviously we use this word in a much better way today. Um, but it's worth thinking about how this type of vice became viewed as a virtue over the past few centuries. It's because enough people use that word as a compliment to someone that eventually it became a, a virtue, a good word, right? So in an individualistic society, it's easier to value the furthering of your own goals, no matter who you hurt, because we focus on self-betterment far more than community betterment. I want us also to consider today's argument for abortion. Okay, so for a while, the... Uh, the real argument was masked with this seemingly more palatable argument, which is that 
Um, science says that, you know, you're not, a, not really human until later on, okay? But then whenever science comes back and actually people start to realize, no, actually the science doesn't say that. Now what we're seeing is that the heart of the argument is really coming forth. And this is, the, this is how it goes. It's her body and she can do whatever she wants with it. Okay, so, so even the acknowledgement that that child is a human being doesn't trump the all-sacred rights of the individual. You can kill your own child if that inconveniences you. I mean, do you hear how there's, there's no concern for the communal good of both mother and child, right? Much less any concern for what bringing new life into a community does. The great thing about, about bringing in new life. Has anyone here uh, ever been to college and lived on a college campus? Dorms, apartments? Yeah, some people, okay. Uh, I did this my, my first year at UT Tyler. And I think one of the coolest things about that time of life was the, the community. Okay, I was forced to, to live with these guys who uh, I had never met and were completely different for me on like so many different levels. And um, I would see the same people when walking to class or going to the cafeteria or doing homework at the library. And we would develop these friendships around this common goal, which was to graduate or survive college, depending on the day, right? Uh, and we, would, we had this goal, and as classmates, we unified around that goal. And when we were unified around that goal and pursuing it together, it would produce acts of kindness and love. We would share notes together. We would study together. We would wake that lazy roommate up who needs to go to class, right? Uh, so so we're, we're unified around this common goal. And I think one big reason that we enjoyed that season of life is because it forced us into a lifestyle that is very rare in our society, a lifestyle where we're having to, to build relationships uncomfortably, and that produces at least some form of community. But then we grow up, we get settled into a routine in those moments where you're, you're forced to get to know someone as y'all strive for, for a common goal over a long period of time begin to lessen. And one reason they lessen is because in so many ways our society has replaced human relationships with technology, right? Uh, go to, to Chili's or Olive Garden. You can order your food, pay for it, and then leave without ever talking to a waiter or waitress, Right? Uh, you, can, you can get your, your movie tickets online. You can pick them up at the kiosk. You can pretend to, to go to church from home on your TV or computer. Uh, we have many people who, who work from home. Uh, even uh, Miranda was telling me this the other day. You can order, like, food and groceries to your doorstep on Amazon. Like, isn't that crazy? You know, like, you can go grocery shopping without ever leaving your house. It's nuts. Then even when we do get out of our house, we often travel alone in our automobiles to places where we buy things from strangers who we barely talk to and will probably never see again. Just think about learning, too. I mean, back in the day, if you wanted to learn something, you had to find a person who had that, that information, right, who had that skill, and you had to, to commune with them. You had to talk with them and to, to learn from them uh, that information or, or whatever it is that you're trying to learn. Now, you just Google, right? I mean, it's so easy to learn all these things. It seems like marketers and, and businesses have figured out that people 
really don't like other people, right? So they're, they're trying to, to re, uh, do as many things as they can to reduce human interaction. And it's wild, but it's working. And it, it, it's a strange thing that we've, we've never seen in history before. Another contributor to the loneliness unique to our culture is that we live in the melting pot, okay? And we have so many freedoms. We have freedom of religion and, and freedom of speech and freedom of thought, which are all good things. And yet now we live in a society where we are not unified around some commonly assumed goal. Okay, you can't just go up to somebody and assume that they have something that they're striving for that you are also striving for, something that they believe that you also believe. And this is a tricky thing in a fallen world because when we live in a free-thinking society, there ends up being very little that actually unites us. Then lastly, I've got to say something about social media. And I was thinking about how uh, I feel like we've been mentioning social media a lot more from the pulpit in the past year or two. And I think the reason is because we're realizing more and more how much this kind of stuff affects us in ways that it's never affected other people groups. So how does our media-saturated culture affect our loneliness? So one huge way is that we can easily get tricked into thinking that we are experiencing real community without ever having actually experienced it. We can know all sorts of information about people, even intimate information if they share it online. And we know where, where so-and-so went on vacation and that their um, you know, kids are playing baseball now and that their cousin just, just passed away and we know that they had Chick-fil-A last night for dinner, right? Uh, if I were to ask you to tell me what's going on in someone's life, you might be able to tell me so many things that I would assume the two of you were best friends. And yet, you may not have talked to this person in months or years Besides maybe a few like inter- internet comments here and there, right? And then, since we don't spend the time necessary really getting to know people, we assume that the image that they are putting forth on social media is actually an accurate portrayal of their life. And we assume that everyone has it together. Everyone's families are perfect. Everyone is traveling nonstop. Everyone has this permanent smile that never leaves their face, Right? Uh, we, we see all of this stuff. Everyone's life is so fun, but your life isn't perfect. As a matter of fact, a lot of the times you feel like your life is really screwed up. So as you begin to compare yourself with others, you're driven into this pit of, of insecurity and fear that only makes you push people away so that they don't find out that your life isn't really what it looks like on the internet. See, we only have so much time in our life for relationships. There's only so many hours in the day. And what, what we will do is we will take those hours that should be spent pouring into deep personal relationships and we will substitute that time in our life for these shallow, impersonal relationships. And the more that we do this, the worse we become at doing life together and simply, simply having conversations and the more we feel the need to seclude away from others. It's kind of this, this cycle of isolation that millions of people are stuck in right now. And, and parents, I think that, that this is one reason that you need to be, be, be very prayerful and careful when you think about, about technology and media for your children. If so many adults don't have the, the discipline 
to, to, to handle these things wisely without uh, falling into that easy trap of, of media addiction, then why would we think that kids are going to be able to do this better than us, right? Um, so, so we need to, to think through those things. This, these things are, are wired to get you addicted, you know, and we all know that, right? Um, but, but it seems like we don't consider it enough. Now, why am I telling you all this, okay? Do I want to be a Debbie Downer? I really don't. I really, really don't. But the reason is because I want all of us to be more aware that we are starting the fight against loneliness at a downhill disadvantage. There are reasons people feel so alone today, and a lot of those reasons are unique to our culture. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you feel alone or, or detached, I want you to know that you are not the only one. I know that I, I personally struggle with this big time. But no matter how much our culture leads us into isolation, this problem ultimately isn't new. God acknowledges in Genesis 2.18 that it's not good for man to be alone. So God created Adam and Eve, and, and, and he calls them to, to multiply, right, to, to fill the earth with God's image bearers. The design was always for the, wor- for the world to be a place where humans rule under God's kingship and where they communally spread his, his kingdom and his glory to the far reaches of the earth. And as we know, not long after this vision is set forth, man sins and, and plunges humanity into sin. And part of the, the judgment that we see happen in those early chapters in Genesis is that Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden. There is now this, this separation or this loneliness from God. And as the Old Testament narrative unfolds, we see very clearly that sin infiltrates the human heart in such a way that we exalt our desires above the desires and needs of our neighbors. When we use others for our own gain, or only care about ourselves, we lose that ability to flourish in a God-given community. Sin causes separation both vertically between God and man, but also horizontally between man and his fellow man. So there are these huge problems that cause us to feel detached or alone. Does God's word give us hope in that kind of darkness? If you have your Bible, you can turn to John 17. In John 17 we find a beautiful and rare glimpse into the heart of God as Jesus prays to the Father right before he is crucified. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 24. In the prayer, Jesus is terrified at the thought of what is about to come. He's pouring out his heart to God. The thought of absorbing the unhindered wrath of God for the sins of those God had given him was was weighing on him. Okay, and he's already prayed for his disciples specifically, and now he is about to pray for the church at large who would believe in the gospel, which is you and me. It's, it's all of us, right? So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's holy word and the prayer of Christ in John 17, verses 20 through 24. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what you and I just read is is infinitely more beautiful than we could ever understand, okay? But I'm just going to call your attention to three points from this text, and then we'll close with some brief exhortations, okay? So first, we were created in the image of the Trinitarian God. Jesus prays in verse 21 that we would all be one, just as the Father and Son are one. And just moments before in the Gospel of John, we saw uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples about the coming Holy Spirit, the third member person of the Trinity. So if the one true God is also three divine persons, and we were were made in his image to multiply, to, to fill the earth with his glory, to spread that image all over the world, then our design is to love one another the way that the Father has loved the Son. We, we are designed to be this, this living picture of Trinitarian love, okay? Just think about that. The, 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 the way that we interact with one another is meant to be a picture of the unity and the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that is, that is where we are heading, okay? This is, this is eternity, previewed here, where love is perfected in our hearts in such a way that Jesus can actually compare our oneness with the oneness of the members of the Godhead. So so we need to grasp this. I mean, you were created and designed to be in community. This is why loneliness hurts. It feels terrible, right? We weren't designed to feel isolated. We were designed to love one another as one. Second, Jesus went to the cross so that you would no longer be alone. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true, okay? In John 17, Jesus is praying for the sacrifice that he is about to make to accomplish its intended goal. And what does he say in verse 24? Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. That's the gospel, right? That is the gospel. The purpose of the cross was to bring you back into the loving and life-giving presence of God. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the judgment that we deserve, to be utterly separated from God, and that is what, what sin does. It separates us from the goodness of God. But on the cross, we see that Jesus was forsaken so that you and I could be brought near, so we could be brought back into this family. But I don't want us to overlook this. The loneliness that Jesus defeats is not only our separation from God, but also our separation from one another. Just listen to this. Three times, two sentences, Jesus prays for us to be one. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Okay, you see that the reason that Jesus, during the most terrifying moments of his life, is, is crying out to God and asking, God, make them one. Make my people one, is because that's what we were created to be. Right? We were created in the, the God or the image of the Trinitarian God. So, so that's what he's, he's crying out for. Let my people reflect my glory to the far corners of the earth. God is three in one, and we were created to be many and yet one. We have diversities of all kinds, beautiful diversities, and yet we ought to be a, a united people. And without that oneness, we don't reflect the glory or properly bear the image of our Trinitarian God. So if you're here today and you're wondering, you know, what, is, what does God want? What is his will for my life? What pleases my Savior? I don't think you have to look any further than this prayer. Okay, Jesus, Jesus wants you to love the people you're sitting next to in such a way that, that the love amongst the Godhead begins to be reflected in our communities. And that's heavy, right? I mean, I, like I'm saying this and I don't even really know exactly what that means, you know? Like this is, this is heavy, it's mysterious, it's, it's glorious, but it's, it's real and it's a call to us that we are to be one. So third, the oneness of the church as it reflects her Trinitarian creator testifies to the glory of Christ and the truth of the gospel. Just listen to some of the, uh, the purpose statements in this prayer. Verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So here, Jesus shows us that, that the unity of his bride, the unity of the church, our unity actually causes people to believe in the gospel. Isn't that crazy, right? It causes the world to, to believe in the gospel as the, the Holy Spirit further conforms us as individuals and as a, a church family into the image of our glorious Trinitarian creator, we make the reality of the gospel visible to others in the way that, that we love one another. A huge part of the way that the church is going to fulfill the Great Commission is by loving one another. Because what happens is people, they come into our churches, they come into our homes or our growth groups, they, they hang out with us at something, and they're to see the grace of Christ as we forgive one another and, and don't bicker over, over small, meaningless things. They see the love of Christ in the way that we're, we're joyful and eager to meet the needs of others, not with reluctance, they see the humility of Christ as we can constantly seek to exalt others' desires above our own. 
and they see really what they've always longed for, which is a, a family that is truly one. So now I want us to, to close with three uh, exhortations, okay? We, we've seen how our Trinitarian God provides the remedy for our loneliness through the cross, but what, is that, what does that look like here and now among the, the people of God? How do we, how do we respond to this, this loneliness and this detachment that seeming to invade our world? First, remember your design. We've all been there, 5.30 on Wednesday, and thinking, man, you know, I really, really don't want to go to growth group. I've had kind of a long day. I'm, I'm really tired. You know, I'm probably so tired, I couldn't even contribute anything. You know, like they, they probably don't even want me there, you know. And, you know, the more I think about it, my stomach's feeling a little weird, you know. Like I should probably sit this one out. No, this is this just, it's not going to work. You know, I got to stay home, right? We've all been there, right? But then sometimes, hopefully more often than not, the thought continues. You think, eh, I really should go. You know, it, it'll be good. I'll just, I'll go, you know. And you go, you spend time in the word of God. You're encouraged by the, the testimonies of your brothers and sisters in Christ who, by the way, also chose to overcome that temptation to not, invest in community. You spend time in prayer. You build relationships. And I, I know for me personally, and then from talking to other people, I, I hear this a lot. It's, it's almost the same thing every time. You leave Wednesday and you're like, oh, so glad I went. You know, like that was so good. I needed that. Oh man, I'm, I'm going every Wednesday for the rest of my life, you know. But then next Wednesday shows up Exact same thing happens, right? I mean, we've been there. So let's, let's remember, okay? We were designed for real relationships. And it's often through the messy stuff of community that we end up growing to be so much more like Christ. Okay, remember your weak spots and, and uh, find ways to, to help yourselves remember the, the blessings that come with gospel community. Second, be humbled by the cross. When we look to the cross, we realize that our sins are far worse than anything that we ever imagined. And the cross publicly declares your biggest secret to everyone in the world, which is that your sins are so disgusting and terrible that the Son of God needed to die to save you. That's already out in the open. You don't, you don't have to tell anybody that, okay? So, so we all know this about each other, okay? So there, there should be really an expectation that as we spend time together, as we get to know one another, we're going to learn that there's sin in these people's lives, right? You're going to see sin in your brothers and sisters, and they're going to see sin in you, right? And we should expect that. There's, there's a recognition that we are fallen and, and broken, but we'll also know that we share a common Savior who is bringing, sovereignly bringing all of us into his arms. We are all heading towards the same place, and that is glorification in the presence of Christ. So those, those public realities, okay, that we're all sinners, that we're all redeemed, it gives us the grace that we need to, to forgive one another. It gives us the, the humility to be vulnerable with one another. 
And it gives us the love that we need to, to persevere in community. But we won't do that well if we are not sitting humbly at the foot of the cross. Third and lastly, love wholeheartedly. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper writes that love is both the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others and it is finding your joy in the joy of another. Love is finding your joy in the joy of another. Psalm 16:3, David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So I want us to, to ask ourselves this morning, are the saints in the land, are, the, are the, your brothers and sisters sitting around you right now, are, are they your delight? Do you find your joy in their joy? I'm convicted just saying it. I mean, this is, this is intense, right? Marriage has shown me more clearly than ever that when you really love someone, their joy is your joy and their misery is your misery. That is true oneness, okay? When I'm having a, a great day and I find out Hannah isn't doing well, it can just plummet me, right? And vice versa. If I'm having a really rough day, I mean, her smile can bring me so much joy. I just heard um, Wes Holt, where is Wes Holt at? Where did he go? This, oh, there you are, Wes. I heard Wes earlier saying that he's gonna rewatch a, a TV show because he likes uh, hearing his wife laugh at things. <laughs> things that he's already laughed at. He, he's excited. He likes hearing her laugh at it. And I thought, it's oneness, right? <laughs> kind of weird, you know. Didn't ask him if I could say that. Here we go. Um, but... You know, like there, there's this oneness where when you really love someone, when they are happy, you're happy, right? When they're having a tough day, you join them there, okay? And this is, this is the gospel on display. Jesus was not hurting or suffering in heaven. He condescended and came and hurt with us and hurt for us. But this, it's not just a marriage kind of thing. That, that kind of love, that kind of oneness, that is what we are called to have with one another, where we rejoice together and mourn together. And it's not going to be easy. As Jesus shows us, love takes sacrifice, especially if you are already someone, which I, I totally acknowledge this. Some of us are, are more uh, hesitant towards community than others just because of kind of how we are. Right? For some of us, community is a lot harder to plug into than other people. So especially if you're like that, it may feel like a living nightmare at first to really press in, to really be vulnerable. But if you persevere and build those deep relationships, you will begin to see the abounding joy of gospel-centered community. So before we pray, uh, I just want to have you guys consider with me how you might need to respond to God's word this morning. Uh, maybe you've said something to someone however long ago and, and there's just been conflict in that relationship for a really long time, okay? And, and you've just kind of let it sit or maybe, maybe vice versa. Maybe someone said something to you and, and there, there's just, there, there hasn't been unity 
And maybe after the service, you need to call them or go find them and, and talk to them and be reconciled. Maybe you're realizing that you've been, been carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders and you, you need the body of Christ. You need to ask your brothers and sisters for help because you can't do it alone. Maybe you see that you haven't really been willing to sacrificially serve the church with your time or finances or energy. Maybe you need to get more plugged in, right? Join a, a growth group, help out in the always needed help kids church, right? Help out with setup, greeter team. We have, we have so many ways where you can serve the body and love people here. Maybe you're here and you have been lonely. You have been detached from others and from the community of Christ. And today you just want to ask for God's help. Community is hard and you just, you need him to give you strength to do it. Lastly, maybe you're, you're here and, and you feel an ultimate detachment, an ultimate loneliness. You recognize that it's more than just problems between you and your neighbors. It's a problem between you and God. There's still separation there. And you need to, to give your life to Jesus, to, to, to fall before him in faith and trust in his promises that he loves you, that he died for you, that he's coming back for you. I don't know, know what your, your case may be, but whatever it is, I, I want all of us to just kind of take a moment. I'm going to have uh, Caleb just kind of pray to reduce awkwardness. And you just respond. Respond to, to God in prayer with however it is that you need to, and then I'll come back and close this in just a second. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you first loved us. God, we thank you that you have given us life and life to the full, that you have revealed yourself in your word and you have not left us in darkness, but you are the light. God, we thank you so much for sending your son to pay for our sins, to to close that chasm between God and man so that we can be with you forever as it was always intended to be, to be in your presence for all things to be made right. And God, until you see fit to return, to consummate your kingdom, to bring the final judgment and the new heavens and the new earth, until that day comes, God, make us one. We agree with the prayer of Christ. Make us one just as you and your son are one. Help us to, to love one another with all that we have, to care for one another. And God, I pray that, that as, we, as we do this, as we pursue community, as we pursue faithfulness in these relationships, God, I pray that, that Living Acts Church would be a, a moving picture of you 
that we would be a, a moving picture of the love amongst Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray this in the name and power of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.